if the Christian gospel is such good news, why aren't more people Christians? seems to me that that is a question that any thinking person comes up with sooner or later as they start to understand the wonder of of the gospel as the Bible uh, explains it to us. We've studied uh, this prophecy of Zechariah, and we've seen Zechariah painting his particular, in his particular way, the great truths of the gospel. We saw eight visions, didn't we, in chapters one to six, which describe God's intention to create a, a global community of of forgiven people who will radiate God's presence like a bright lamp whose, whose sin will be borne away and who will finally enjoy God's complete victory over all forces of, uh, of evil as he brings in the new heaven and the new earth. That is the gospel. From uh, chapter 9 onwards, um, it seems to me at least that... Uh, Zechariah becomes distinctly more disjointed and uh, difficult to follow. I, I suspect perhaps because Zechariah himself doesn't see it clearly what God is doing. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, for instance, says that the prophets who spoke of the grace that was coming to you, surely Zechariah fits in that category, searched intently with the greatest of care, trying to find out the, the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. They searched intently. And uh, Peter goes on to say it was revealed to them that actually only God's people, the church, would finally see with clarity what they were getting visions and glimpses of. So uh, it's not a great surprise that sometimes the prophets do become a little opaque and a little difficult to understand. We can see broadly what Zechariah is saying in the last uh, um, uh, five chapters of, of his work. He is saying that God's opponents will be... Um, are defeated, God will rescue his people. But, it, but, but it's much less clear exactly how everything fits together. Zechariah chapter 9, we looked at uh, just a few, a couple of weeks ago. We, uh, we picked out that central theme in that chapter that, that, it, that Zechariah reveals the character of the great king who is going to bring about the gospel, the, the, the things spoken of in the gospel. We found to our surprise that uh, though he will defeat all evil, he comes humble and gentle, riding on a donkey. Zechariah anticipated the gentle ministry of Jesus. And uh, we move into some more um, uh, slightly disjointed uh, passages, but I want to focus on another of Zechariah's clear moments when he starts to get a glimpse, perhaps, of the events that will bring about the truths that he's spoken of in chapters 1 to 6. So you'll excuse me, I hope, for jumping over um, large swathes. We'll focus just on chapter 11, verses 4 to 17. First thing we need to, to uh, see in this uh, 
uh, this passage is what Zechariah finds as he uh, 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 looks upon the world of his day. Look at verse um, uh, 4. This is what the Lord my God says. Pasture the flock marked for slaughter. Their buyers slaughter them and go unpunished. Those who sell them say, praise the Lord, I am rich. Their own shepherds do not spare them. That's what Zechariah finds. Horrible oppression. The people are marked for slaughter, he says. Perhaps we're to, perhaps we're to imagine that the, uh, um, uh, the shepherd has been through all of the sheep looking for those who are fat enough. And he's separated off those that uh, are, are more or less fat enough to feed them up, to finish them, as farmers would say, before they are served up on people's plates. Those who rule over them are traders who deal in human sheep as a commodity. They are buyers who buy human sheep to slaughter them. The sellers get rich. The buyers get fat. I mean, this week, as Brian alluded to, we have seen a, a, a tragic example of how people actually in our society can be effectively used as sheep ripe for slaughter. Whatever the details of Dr. David Kelly's death, there can be no doubt that he was a man who was cruelly used and abused by people or institutions that had an absolutely ruthless agenda or agendas that in the end could not serve the needs of one innocent individual. If he'd not committed suicide, I suspect we would have thought nothing more of the, uh, uh, the cruel grilling that he got, of the way that he was served up as a, as, a, as a public figure in order to serve the purposes of government, the way that perhaps uh, um, reporters as well were unmindful of the welfare of individuals. We'd have thought nothing more of it. That's the way the world works. Sometimes a suicide brings us to our senses. I'm not surprised, frankly, that there are such low turnouts in elections after a week such as we've had today. I'm not surprised that young people have given up any hope of, of, of building a great new society which the older generation once uh, dreamed of because they see it as a dog-eat-dog -dog world or it is a world where lamb, people are just lambs for the slaughter. The younger generation of, uh, especially have woken up and smelt the mint sauce, as they say. Actually, though, that's not the main thrust of what Zechariah wants to point, us out, uh, point out to us. Those characteristics of the way people are treated are not, not just a, 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 um, part of wider society. No, they're found in a society that claims to be devoted to God. 
Just for a minute, Ted, we're going to have to stop because there's a high-pitched whine that I think is going to very irritate people. Can you turn down the gain on something higher? Are they not using? Are we not using this one? In some in some ways, you see, we don't need to be necessarily surprised that the wider world treats people like that. Zechariah says the main horror, the main horror that he sees that God has shown him is that God's people treat one another like that sometimes. Those who sell them, he says, say, praise the Lord, I am rich. These people claim to be worshippers. They are sitting in the pews on Sunday mornings. Christians who take the name of God on our lips. Plenty of so-called Christians, you see, still live fundamentally for themselves. Zechariah chapter 7 and 8. Do you remember that? When you uh, fasted for me, when you, uh, when you fasted, when you feasted, was it for me? Was it not for yourselves, he says? Well, here's the consequence. The consequences is people treat one another like so much meat. Those who cross our path are judged simply in terms of what they give us. And if they don't give us what we want, they are out. If they can give us what we want, we simply use them to satisfy our appetite for approval, for respect, sometimes for money, sometimes for more base things. They never are a human being. They are just there as an apparition that we decide what they can give us. Zechariah's particular concern actually is leaders amongst God's community, those he calls shepherds. There's a, there's a growing ch- tendency in, the, in some church traditions in, in this country for, for uh, leaders to adopt lavish lifestyles, claiming that this represents the blessing of, of God, when in reality, actually, they're just fleecing the flock. Over the last few years in Oxford, I, I, I've seen a number of cases where um, impoverished little tiny congregations had pastors pursuing ostentatiously uh, wealthy lifestyles every reason uh, to provide pastors with a standard of living which, the, which as the New Testament puts it, honours them, which puts them on a par with uh, other people who do an honest day's work in that congregation. But beware of greedy shepherds. More often, uh, though, in this country where, um, frankly, in most churches, financial gain is not uh, a, a great possibility. Church leaders search for something else, some other way, just to use people to satisfy their appetites. They become obsessed with uh, numbers because a big church enhances their reputation. They become obsessed with control because, frankly, it feels good to make people do what you ask them to do. 
They become obsessed with their reputation in the wider world, perhaps downplaying uncomfortable doctrines, worrying about their image because they long for the respect of the world more than for the glory of God. All people who cross their paths are simply judged according to whether their reputation, their appetite is satisfied. Actually, I have to say, the recent furore in the Anglican Church over Geoffrey John was driven partly, I am certain, by this false hunger for respect, in that case, for the respect of the wider world. I mean, certainly there are some humble, sincere church leaders who are, who are uh, convinced that uh, God, God would not um, be against homosexual practices. It does appear, actually, that Geoffrey John is, is one of those. I believe those people are wrong for reasons that I've set out more than once elsewhere. But, but I, I cannot doubt their sincerity. But others, there are others who are driven much more for, by a des- the desire for the approval of society become an issue in the Church of England, for instance, not because of some new revelation about the meaning of Scripture, or actually because, uh, um, uh, uh, because people have changed their minds. Many have secretly believed the things they say they believe for many, many years. It's become an issue in the Church of England because some leaders are terrified of being labelled as homophobic. They are terrified of being unpopular in society. To be, to be pro-homosexual activity plays well in society. So they have become convinced that they must play to that gallery. No matter that innocent Ordinary people are led astray. No matter that ordinary people are, are, are told that, uh, well, Jesus would never judge us for our sexual behaviour. No matter that ordinary people are told, told well, the word of God can be uh, um, uh, understood in all sorts of different ways and so we shouldn't see it as authoritative. No matter the way that ordinary people are led like lambs to the slaughter, whether they be non-Christians who finally believe firmly that God is just going to uh, pass them through to heaven, whatever. Or whether they be Christians who lose sight of what God really says. One, One prominent player in this whole uh, sorry saga said to a friend of mine when they were discussing it, he said if you speak publicly as you're speaking now about the word of God and what it says you will empty the churches, he said of course it's not true every bit of evidence in this country is against that but he was more interested in the approval of the world than anything else. 
You could sense the satisfaction of certain church leaders as they described the flood of letters that came from non-Christians in support of Geoffrey John because they'd got the approval they longed for. Did we hear them even say, praise the Lord, I'm rich. I don't see that, say, say that at all, with any sense of, 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 of happiness in my heart. And let me make it very, very clear, it is possible for evangelical leaders to be led astray in exactly the same way too, to be seduced by the applause of bigots, to gather around themselves a little coterie of, uh, of self-righteous people who, uh, who, who build them up. But you see, we must be real shepherds as leaders. Not actually treat people as simply so many pieces of meat to enhance my reputation. What is Zechariah to do about it then? In this world that he finds this seething world of uh, buying and selling of people. Zechariah's commission is very clear. It began back in, in verse 4 of chapter 11. Pasture the flock, says God. Then verse 7, so I pastured the flock marked for slaughter. He fed them, particularly the oppressed, he says uh, in verse 7 again. He symbolically takes two staffs. Staffs were used to guide the flock, to protect the flock. One of those staffs is called favour. The other is called union. God's twofold agenda as he looks after his people and commissions shepherds to look after his people is to pour out his favour, his blessing on them, and bring them to unity. Zechariah has to fight too as he pastures that flock. Verse 8 in one month I got rid of the three shepherds. Nobody knows who those three shepherds are. Perhaps they symbolically point to the fact that um, wicked shepherding was deeply entrenched. I don't, do you remember Lady Bracknell um, in um, The Importance of Being Earnest when um, Ernest confesses that he's uh, an orphan, he has no parents, and she says, young man, to lose one parent may be considered unfortunate. To lose both is careless. Well, to have one wicked shepherd may be an unfortunate accident. To have two may be a terrible coincidence. To have three wicked shepherds maybe affirms very clearly that this is a leadership that is devoted over generations in its broadest sense to fleecing the flock. And all three of these shepherds, whoever they are, are deposed. That is the job of all godly leaders. Jesus said to Peter before he ascended into heaven, feed my sheep. He meant teach them the word of God. Nourish them with the truth. I meet a lot of spiritually emaciated Christians. 
They are always emaciated, either because they don't know the truth, or because they don't believe the truth, or they don't practice the truth. And a godly leader's role is to do everything that he can to help people to grow healthily. He is to teach them the truth so that people, to, people know it. He is to seek to persuade people of the truth so that they believe it. He is to encourage and guide people in the truth so that they obey it. Obey it. And he is to depose all false teachers who have the people's affection and yet who do not have the people's interest in their hearts. This is the Paul's charge to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, he says, who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, this is important. I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season, when they like it and when they don't, it, don't like it. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. That is, that is my task. In a broader sense, that is, the, that is um, the leadership in this church's task. That is Sunday school teachers' task as they teach children now and seek to grow them up in the discipline and instruction and love of the Lord. In a looser, looser sense, that is house group leaders' cha- uh, task as they bring people together and uh, help people to interact with God's Word. That is the primary way in which we help one another. We pasture the flock. We feed one another. We feed the people of God. But here is the rub. Here is the rub that really starts to answer that question. Well, if the gospel is so uh, uh, wonderful, such wonderful good news, why then is, do so few people follow the God of Jesus Christ? The result begins in verse 8, second half. The flock detested me. The people hated what Zechariah did and hated him. They didn't like being fed good, healthy grass. They preferred the tasty tidbits that their their previous shepherds had fed them. No matter the, the, the shepherds were feeding them junk food precisely to fatten them up for the day of slaughter, it tasted good at that moment and that was all that mattered to them. Mark this, says the Apostle Paul, again in the New Testament. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. The time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. In our natural state, says the Bible, we detest faithful shepherds. 
Mark this, anyone who's, who, who fancies being a church leader, some will detest you. Mark this, all of us who read things in God's word, which, which something in our heart rebels against, that is the natural old self. It is a mark of our old nature. Naturally, in our nature, our ears itch, not for the truth, but for comforting lies that will make us feel better for a moment but leave us utterly lost. I wonder whether you remember um, uh, the story of Watership Down. The uh, rabbits at one point come upon, uh, upon a community of uh, rabbits that seem terribly sleek and fat. And uh, most of the, uh, the community are very tempted to settle down with these fat rabbits. They discover quite quickly why it is that the rabbits are doing so well. The benevolent farmer comes out and scatters, uh, scatters carrots in the next field and all the rabbits happily hop through the hedge to get the carrots. One day they discover the farmer's agenda. He sets a snare in the hedge. And when uh, one of the chief uh, of the wandering rabbits is caught in that snare, all the sleek rabbits say, just leave it. That is the price we have to pay to get the carrots. Ignore him. He'll stop fighting for his life soon. It's a terrible parable. Written, do you remember, by a vicar about how people sometimes are prepared to face a terrible cost just to receive the nourishment that they want rather than what's good for them. The people detested Zechariah. And surprise, surprise, it gets worse. Zechariah gives up. Verse uh, uh, 9 I grew weary of them and said, I will not be your shepherd. Let the dying die and the perishing perish. Let those who are left eat one another's flesh. One of the most terrible truths in Scripture is that if people choose to turn away from God, he leaves them to it. It's a terrible picture, this, of person eating person, but it happens. Actually, the Apostle Paul warned the Galatian Christians, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by... by by each other. God is quite prepared if people are determined to do that to let them do it. He breaks his covenant of blessing with them. Verse 10, then I took my staff called favour and broke it, revoking the covenant I had made with all the nations. And there is the deepest tragedy. What, who was the covenant with? Well, in one sense, of course, it was the covenant with Israel, with God's people, to bring them favour. But, in the wider sense, it was God's covenant with his world. 
because God wanted the whole of his world to hear the good news of the gospel. And he gave that commission to his church and he called them to follow him faithfully, to listen to faithful shepherds, to obey the gospel, and therefore to reach out to the world around with the wonderful, life-transforming good news of the gospel so that they too would come to faith and people from every tribe and every nation under the heavens would be found in heaven glorifying God. And God's people have broken that covenant. The staff has been snapped. which says favour. Gets worse. Zechariah has uh, done them no favour. And he expects the people to recognise that. He seems to indicate that as he uh, approaches them about money. Verse 12. I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. Perhaps, you, um, he's thinking, the people will repent after this terrible warning, after me breaking the staff, and they will show it by paying me, paying me perhaps the tithe that should go into the temple. Perhaps, the people will see clearly the horror of what has happened to them, and though they don't, don't repent, at least they will be furious about it and not pay me a penny and, and, and drive me out. Perhaps their fury will indicate at least they've taken it to heart. But no, that's not what happens. They pay him. They pay him the price that was reserved for compensating a slave master when a slave had been accidentally killed. That's significant. God is furious. The Lord said to me, verse 13, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they priced me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the potter. God says, do you see, this is the price at which they priced me. They have lost me from their midst. They have driven me out. They have effectively murdered me. And what price do they put on that? The price of a slave. Oh, they figure they better compensate Zechariah because he looks a bit a little upset about the fact that uh, God's no longer around blessing them. There, there, Zechariah, they say, have 30 pieces of silver and don't think any more about it. It's a sad loss. Yes, certainly losing God. And we do regret his demise. But, but let's keep things in proportion, Zechariah. He wasn't a full member of Israelite society after all, was he? He was just a useful person to have around, as someone to do our bidding. He's gone, but hey, there are lots more gods like him in the slave market. Pick him up as easily as you can pick up a slave. 
take the money to the market, Zechariah. That's enough. You'll get yourself another one. And that's what's going on, you see. And God says, throw it to the potter. Throw it in the temple. Because they've priced me as nothing more than a slave. This verse is actually taken up in the New Testament because it seems to anticipate Judas's betrayal of Jesus. He too was paid 30 pieces of silver. He too threw it into the temple and it was used to buy the potter's field. The connection, though, is, is a bit difficult to see in some ways because Zechariah is the faithful prophet speaking God's word who has been paid here, whereas Judas was a betrayer who was paid. The connection, though, it seems to me, is not in who's paid, but who does the paying. Zechariah has faithfully warned them, you see, of God's judgment, that God may turn away from them. And they've said, well, that's is of little value, as little value to us as the loss of a slave. Judas actually broke his covenant with God, along with the Pharisees who asked him to do it. He betrayed the Son of God. And the payers again say that is as of little value to us as the loss of a slave. Here, take 30 pieces of silver. Frankly, that is how little people think of God. Even so-called Christian leaders sometimes. It's a terrible tragedy. But there is worse. Unity now is broken. Verse 14, I broke my second staff called union, breaking the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. A sure mark, you see, that God's blessing is withdrawn is division amongst his people. Sadly, sometimes it has to happen to make a distinction between those who are faithful to God and those who are not. But wherever there is disunity amongst God's people, somewhere you will find there are people who have broken faith with the living God. Sometimes both sides, frankly. Sometimes one. But unity never survives. And it gets worse still. God then turns and allows false shepherds to prevail. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to me, take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd, for I am going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the lost or seek the young or heal the injured or feed the healthy, but will eat the meat of the choice sheep tearing off their heels, their hooves. That was the state we met at the beginning of our examination of Israel. And that is the state, finally, that they choose and God accepts for them. 
And that is repeated again and again and again down through history. God finds his people horribly oppressed. God raises up shepherds who faithfully teach the word of God. But all too often, it is God's people themselves who prefer something different. And their last situation is as bad as the worst, as the first. Why are not more people celebrating the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, the glorious gospel of Zechariah? Well, says Zechariah, I've seen something terrible. I've seen that God's people turn away and oppress one another and the people love it. Now I want to, I want to say to you this morning, we are not immune from that. There is no point in us sitting here feeling self-righteous that is the natural tendency in the heart of human beings. Next week we will see how God changes that and can make a real difference in our lives. But this week we must understand that about ourselves. I, I want to say to you, pray for me and other church leaders like, like me. Pray as well um, that, that we will be responsible. Hold me accountable to feeding you as you should be fed. Uh, you know, there's an enormous pressure, always, ongoing, to feed people with little sweet lollipops rather than good pasture. Always. Because good pasture takes digestion. Good pasture doesn't give you an instant uh, sugary high. A good pastor takes a lot of work to prepare. Those who've done so know it. Hold me accountable. I want to, uh, I want to say to, 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 to you, yourselves, you know, the mark of our discipleship as Christians is how seriously we're prepared to wrestle with the things we find most uncomfortable about God's word. to really try to understand the mind and the heart of God. Because then we will be fed by God himself. Picking the sweets out is a dreadfully unbalanced diet. Emily has a chinchilla that uh, we initially fed um, a sort of normal mix of uh, various different things too, which you can buy in the shops. But uh, chinchillas are notorious for picking out the bits that they like and just leaving the oats and that sort of thing. And they can kill themselves, as several, as several other species of animals can do through their habit. And we've had to go for pellets that mix everything up in a way that the chinchilla cannot choose.
frankly, you see, we must make sure that we read the Word of God and try to understand the Word of God in that way. Or we will find ourselves only listening to the bit our itching ears want to hear. I want to say to you most of all, God's covenant with the nations, God's determination to see people from every tribe and nation across the world praising him depends on their being faithful people who will honour him and serve him and submit to him and his word as it really is. He will not have that covenant thwarted in the end. He can raise up others. But if we here want to be part of that, then we must be people who humbly listen to the word of God. who are nourished by the real pasture and who do not detest faithful shepherds.